Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel. You know that the partnership game is not easy, but it's so worth it. If you're struggling with attracting or maintaining partnerships, go to speakingofpartnership.com right now, click on the big red button, and attend a free webinar on the secret to starting your ideal partnership today. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I'm super excited to bring you today's featured guest, Gene McConnell. Gene, welcome to the show. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. So for all of you listening out there, Gene McConnell is one of America's foremost experts on shame and its impact on one's personal perception that affects all other relationships. His message helps identify and interpret adverse consequences of societal trends that are engulfing our contemporary culture. Gene educates individuals and organizations all over the world about the foundational elements of building and maintaining healthy relationships in marriage, the workplace, and the community. His expertise first came onto the national scene with his signature message about the sexualization of our culture and the impact it has upon individual lives, relationships, and communities. His proprietary program, The Power of Porn, broke new ground by demonstrating the link between the root causes of shame, broken relationships, and the consumption of sexual images. Gene, do me a favor. Would you just take a minute and give us a glimpse into how you got started doing this important work? You know, Ken, it's, um, I think for me, I, you know, I struggled in my own journey with addiction and, and had a very difficult time breaking it. I went through all kinds of different programs, um, it, conferences, read many books. And although a lot of those books and those conferences were helpful, they didn't really help me break it. And I found myself in this cycle of uh, struggling with saying, saying I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this. I'm never going to do this again. I mean this with all my heart. Make a commitment and resolve in my heart that I'm not going back to that world. And then I find myself back there in a couple of weeks, maybe a couple hours, um, sometimes even six months. But the idea was that no matter how many times I said no to it, I found myself back in that world again. And the, the hard part was that in the addiction, in the world of addiction, uh, I did not want to hurt those I love. And yet every time I went back, I was hurting everyone around me. I was destroying my business. I was destroying my marriage. I was destroying my relationship with my kids. And unfortunately, it hurt, hurt a lot of my friendships as well. And so I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to stop. But I did, what I didn't realize was that shame was the, at the core of it. And more, the more I learned about shame and I learned about how shame plays out in my life and in life of others, it profoundly began to change how I actually dealt with the addiction and realized that the addiction was really a symptom and is not the real problem, and that that at the bottom, at the root of the addiction is shame. And what that started the ball rolling was saying, wow, there's so much misinformation around addiction, 
and how we heal that very few people are really truly breaking this. Most people see it as I will always be in this problem. I will never see it go away. And so when I realized that actually when you deal with the shame, you actually see the addictive cycle break. And and even once I did that, I didn't even realize that how much shame played a role in destroying partnerships, how it destroys relationships, and how it sabotages the very thing that I want, which is love, acceptance, connection. Um, all of that was being sabotaged by shame. So it's not only about addiction, but it's also in playing out in everyday life, in people's marriages, in their friendships, in their business world. And so shame is way bigger than just addiction, but it started in me facing my addiction. Wow, that's quite a journey. You know, it's, it's interesting that you made the comment of, you know, that you were basically just going back and back and back over and over again to the same addiction, even though you had, in your heart, you had committed to never doing it again, you still went back there. And as you were saying that, I'm just like, well, that just adds to the shame. Yes. Yeah, so it, it does. It just reinforces the thing you're trying to get away from. Yeah, and, the, and the, it's it's bigger than just a feeling, Ken, because what, what we don't realize is what shame is. Um, and so if you don't mind, I'll take just a few seconds. Please. I won't take a long. You know, we usually take two weeks to unpack what shame <laughs> is, but we'll do that. In this <laughs> it, what shame is, is it's a belief, which is really important to catch. It's a belief system. It's not a feeling. Although shame can come out in a feeling, it's not the primary source. Actually, it is a belief. It's a belief that I am basically defective as a human being. And so what that, how that plays out in life then is, is that I, I not only think I'm, I, not only did I do something stupid, I am stupid. Not only did I do something bad, I am bad. Not only did I do something broken or damaged or evil, I am broken, damaged, or evil. So what it does is shame attaches your struggle or your behavior to your identity. And that is the biggest damage done. Yeah, that's pretty pretty serious stuff there. So I want well, to ask you something because, I mean, you're right, obviously, when you make that part of your identity, whatever that catalyst for the shame was, that starts kind of reducing you, basically, right? So it starts diminishing you. I'm broken, I'm stupid, I'm whatever it is. How, like, how can you address that? I, I guess more from the standpoint of how does somebody own that piece of their identity in a partnership so that it doesn't become debilitating to the partnership? Uh, Ken, that's a really important question. Because shame is actually co coming from uh, things I've experienced in my past, mm -hmm. beliefs that I've experienced from past struggles, past history. So most of the time, shame gets planted earlier in life from relationships where we believe from those encounters that that's, that's our identity. So for, I, I had sexual abuse in my history. So that first sexual experience was I felt dirty, I felt soiled, I felt damaged, like I was damaged good. 
And so I, that belief went deep in my soul. So I, I began to believe that is who I am. So when, so the shame message gets planted deep in the current world that we're in. So when I would encounter uh, relationships that treat, mistreated me or pushed me away or rejected me, I'm thinking that shame message right back up to the surface is that I'm that dirty, little, broken, dead good boy because if they if they must somehow see that in me and they're pushing away it's it's so subtle we don't even realize that the rejection or the way we're being treated is triggering the shame message and when that happens i react out of out of anger and out of pain and or i go into to a total isolation or i just withdraw completely and i pull away and i put up walls so that you can't see me so it's really big in how we, in terms of how we're reacting to others. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my head around this because you're right. It's so big. Um, when you're, when you're thinking it like, well, we'll just use the example you did, of you know, you were sexually abused, then that influenced your, your experience having sex. How does that, um, I want to ask this. Is there a way that we can, in the moment, like, step back from the shame, so to speak? Yes. I think what we, what I, I use the language that we challenge our shame. Hmm. And, and by doing that, we want to confront that that belief by coming back to that relationship and in, in talking through that rather than just assuming what they mean by their actions. So I'm going to give you an example, just a really simple one. So if someone's, if someone slams the door and I have a history of that people who slam the door, throw things or, you know, kick something or kick the can, but they're angry, but they're not talking about it. So I, so by closing that door, I'm assuming that that's what they're angry. But if I have a history that says, no, we're just, we just slammed the door because we are in a hurry or we're, you know, we're running out the door and we, and we're in a hurry and we slammed the door. We're not angry at all. We're just late. But based on one's history, you determine what that slamming of the door means. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about shame, so in several of the relationships I've been in the past is when someone actually withdraws their presence. In other words, they're silent, they're not talking, and I, or they feel very cold or they're very distant. I'm, I immediately, in my shame message, see them as withdrawing their presence that they see me they don't really like me they're seeing me as that dirty little that dirty guy rather than hey they might just have had a bad day and so what i'm doing is is i'm operating out of my messages rather than being able to say excuse me uh george when you slam that door or when you're that when you're actually responding when you're actually you're actually um, not talking to me you just walked right by me and didn't even notice me I'm just wondering what's up instead of making a judgment about that action actually asking the person what that action meant because what it does is shame 
many times functions within the whole idea of, of assumptions. I'm assuming their action means that I'm no good or I'm dirty or they don't like me. But the truth is, is that I'm, I need to find out what they're thinking. And almost 99.9% .9 of the time, it is not what I'm assuming it to be. Hmm. Uh, so it, being able to challenge my shame says, Ken, uh, I, I come up to you and I say, you know, when you, you walk by me and didn't even talk to me, and I'm just curious, uh, what's up? Now here, I didn't put any judgment to it. And all I did was I'm assuming, I'm not assuming anything. I'm just saying what actually happened. You did walk by me and you didn't talk to me, but could you tell me what that means? And by doing that, I'm allowing you to give me what happened and it challenges my shame. My shame that says, he's just mad at me. He doesn't like me. He doesn't care about me. You hear, so that living in assumption is the worst thing we can do because we're always gonna go back to our shame message rather than what is really true. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because it, the way I always say it to my clients is, do you want to live your life based on fact or fiction? Exactly. And every assumption is a fiction based yep. on, well, you did that last time. Well, that doesn't mean it's the same today. Right. Yeah. So, so powerful. So, would you do us a favor? Because our, our guests, our, our host, yeah, everybody, <laughs> our listeners is what I wanted to say, Gene. Uh, our listeners have told me they, they love when our guests share stories of their own you know, personal experiences. And what I'd love it if you would share since we're on this topic is like, what's a time in your life where, let's use shame, where shame tripped you up in a partnership? And, and what was going on? What happened? What did you trip on? And, and then what did you learn from that that helped you move forward? So um, the, uh, well, you know, one, one, one day um, I, I came home from work and, um, and my wife was, was just um, silent and uh, and she didn't she didn't talk and I, I asked her questions and she gave me well, one or two words she didn't give me any kind of full interaction and she would just simply answer the question in a short manner and and she wasn't interacting and, and I and I, you know her silence and her withdrawal hurt big time and so I immediately assumed that she didn't care that she that she that she was mad at me and that um you know she wasn't she wasn't it wasn't uh like i wasn't important enough to give me her give me her time and man reacted big time and i just walked out i guess turned walked back out the door and I drove down the road and I'm driving down the road and I'm just furious. I'm furious. You know, she doesn't care. She doesn't, she didn't even give me her time, you know, um, you know, and when I tried to talk to her, she didn't, she wasn't going to, she didn't tell me there was anything wrong. And so I'm just, I'm just, just furious and I'm hurting on the inside because, you know, I, Hey, I, I really care about this relationship. So anyhow, I, I drove around for a little bit and I, and I just realized, well, man, Gene, you're just, you're, you're not giving her a chance to, to talk about what's really going on. Don't, accept this as that she doesn't care you know there's many things in her life that she has shown and demonstrated that she cares because she you know she moved here from Colombia 
and she, you know, she moved and put, you know, put everything at risk to be here. And so give her a chance. So I go back and I sit down and, and I said, you know, we were, we were, uh, when I walked through that door and I was trying to talk to you and you wouldn't give me, you know, you weren't talking to me. I want to know, you know, what was, what was going on with you? What, what, what was happening? And she just simply said, one of my best friends just lost his dad and his dad was very close to us. And I'm sitting there going, holy smokes. She's grieving over the loss of her best friend's dad. And I'm assuming that she didn't even like me. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm assuming that she's not even caring. And I'm thinking, man, had I taken a second just to, to to actually just say what's up, rather than this judgment thing, boy, what a, what that would have saved. Uh, um, it just just huge, you know, just just it was huge. Um, that's just one example. I remember the thing, Ken, that you know, another thing that was really big for me is that, you know, I, I, I longed for all of my, my life. I wanted, wanted someone to care and wanted someone to see me and love me. But I was too afraid because I was afraid that they would see that dirty little boy. And so when, you know, whenever someone uses silence as or and they were would pull away it stirs that those feelings it feeling like somehow um, they're rejecting me they're reject they see the dirty little boy they see the broken man inside and so that that has always been a shame message for me so silence has always been a challenge for me and realizing that the silence is my challenge that it actually stirs that then I want I want to step forward and talk and be curious and not make a judgment about it and it helps me a lot um the other piece was the my my when i married my wife um married her 10 years ago and before that i had a marriage of 27 years that failed and uh so i wanted this marriage to to be special i wanted it to work and um it really meant a, meant a lot to me that this relationship was um, upfront, open, and so when we when she moved here from Colombia, um, you know we talked we talked about having kids because she was was uh, forty and I was fifty four at the time, and she had never been married, never had kids, and she waited till she all of her life she waited for that for the be find the right man so that she could have kids and so we talked about man I'd love to have kids too and and uh, do it over again and and because I'd already had kids from my first marriage and she said um, let's plan on doing that right away when I get there so we started working towards having that and having kids and that first year in marriage no matter what she she didn't get pregnant and and so we were worried about it. So we went to the doctor and the doctor said to her, uh, well, it's no big deal. We'll just do a, you know, some checks and see what's wrong and, and figure it out. And so they did some tests and they found out that she had polyps on her uterus and the doctor said, it's no big deal. We just remove the polyps and it'll be a great, it'll be no problem. You'll, you'll be able to get pregnant. So she goes in and does this outpatient thing and gets them removed and about, 
it was successful. And about two weeks later, the doctor calls back and says, sir, uh, your wife has cancer and we need to have those, her female organs removed as soon as possible. And I'm sitting there going, holy smokes, you know, uh, um, how do I tell my wife? This is her lifelong dream. And to be married and to finally have kids. And she's always dreamed about being a mom. And so I, she asked me who was on the phone. I said, a doctor. And she said, well, what do you have to say? And I told her. And the, her light, the lights in her eyes went out. Literally, literally just blew her away. And it just... That in that moment, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to how to approach it. I didn't know what to how to support her. And so what I did was, is I worked really, 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 really hard at trying to take her to the doctor, get medicine for her, do some tests there at the hospital as she had her female organs removed, and just working really hard to make sure that this everything went well, that she knew that I loved her. But we were really having difficult times in our in the relationship while we're doing this. And I couldn't figure out what happened, what was going on. And her response to me later in counseling was, is, you know, through all of that time that, of losing, of going, losing my, my ability to have children, I never saw you shed one tear. And I thought, whoa. Well, I don't get that because here I've been doing all this work and I'm trying to make this thing happen, trying to make, make this relationship um, know that you know how important this relationship is to me, and I've been doing all this serving. How could you say that? And you know, she said, "I, you know, it. You not crying, you not shedding any tears. I felt like I was in this all alone. And the reality was, is that I was so determined that by by serving her, that if I could let her know that all this work and helping her that she that I loved her and yet what's missing was my heart what's missing was me allowing myself to be impacted by what she was going through because she not only was she losing her life's dream but she was also struggling with the big word cancer mm-hmm. and so I was too afraid here's where shame comes in I'm too afraid to let my heart be seen but I can do it through action but what what was hiding was how I really felt. What was hiding was is, man, this tore my heart apart too. This was heartbreaking. This was very difficult. And yet I couldn't allow myself to be seen. And so in that difficult spot, I was doing all this active stuff. But in that, she felt all alone in that struggle. Yeah. Wow. That's quite an amazing journey. And. You know, as you were as you were sharing that, Gene, I, I just kept thinking, you know, about uh, Gary Chapman's love languages and what it represents, right? So you're going, I'm doing action, I'm doing action, I'm doing action, and for her, she's like, that's nice, but I need, I need to see your emotions, right? And conversely, you're like, no, if I show emotions now, she needs me to be strong. I got to be a rock. I can't be a big blood ring baby. I have to go make things happen. Right. And we're totally trying to communicate, but we're not speaking the same language. 
And it's one of those interesting things because when I talk with people and they're like, oh, I've done my love languages. I'm like, great. Did you tell your partner? They're like, why? I'm like, because that's who it's for. It's not for you. You already know what feels like love. They don't. They need to hear. Well, my love language is physical touch. That's why I love it when you hug me or give me a kiss. And the other person's like, oh. Well, I don't really care for that so much. So I tend not to do that because I thought it was annoying to you like it is to me. This is where we miss it, right? It's about letting the other person know what do we need. And you're right. That shame makes us go, oh, no, that would be embarrassing. I can't tell them that. Right. Right. And, you know, the thing that hits us the most, Ken, I think this is really important. And, and boy, I, if, if, if your listeners hear anything I say, it would be this, is that, you know, God calls us to love with all of our heart, to love with all of our heart. That's the first thing you're to give is with all of my heart, which means my emotions, my feelings, my experiences. And so what's interesting is that shame, because when I feel shame and that shame looks like sounds like if you really know me, Ken, if you saw the real me, the broken me inside, you'd walk away. So I can't let that person be seen. So I'm going to do whatever I can on the outside that's to help you like me or make make you uh, accept me. So shame walls off my heart. The very thing that God's called me to give in relationship, the number one thing is to love with my heart. And I'm walling it off. So my heart is not engaged. Even though I'm, I care, my heart's not being seen because it's behind walls. Yeah. And so... In that situation there, my wife couldn't, I was working my butt off to try to say, I love you. I, this matters to me. I'm so sorry, man, that this hurts. But I, but I was not allowing my heart to be impacted. So my wife couldn't see how I felt about it. All she saw was my actions. And so even, even in that scenario, she was thinking, well, he's not shedding any tears. Therefore, he doesn't really care. And the truth is, I did care. I just didn't know how to show it. Mm -hmm. Shame walls off my heart. Yeah. No, that's that is such a powerful, powerful statement because it's so, so true. And I mean, we've all been there. Everybody has some element of that. And it, it's it's just an amazing, amazing thing. It's it's made me think back because I was recently interviewed um, by a, another woman about uh getting through your my darkest period in my life and every one of those situations for people that heard the interview they're like oh if you think about it from the perspective you just gave us gene it's like yeah because my heart was walled off and it created the darkest moment it made me stay there longer than i needed to because if i actually connected i would have been able to move through it but i wasn't yeah yeah. And the impact of you that that can is huge, because here's the thing that, that that we don't even realize is that when our hearts are walled off, then we can't really give love like you, people don't experience love from us. They've they've experienced that cold, distant, hard person rather than rather than the loving, tender, caring, compassionate, forgiving, accepting and I could go on, kind. So the idea that my when my heart's walled off, I'm really not being able to show up in a way that is 
that is endearing and loving. Uh, yeah, I can show up in action, but I'm not allowing my heart to be seen. And that is huge. Um, it has huge implications. And so in that is, you know, one of the most important things we can do is learning how to share from the heart, which means that I'm going to share, I'm going to open up, I'm going to move, drop down the walls, I'm going to allow my, my true self to be seen. If I'm in pain, let that be seen. Don't be afraid to show that. If I'm sad, show that. If I'm angry, show that. Anger is not wrong as long as you don't hurt anybody with it. Because the problem is if we tend to hurt people with our anger, then we are afraid of it. But if the if we're authentic about who we are, that is that is going to change and um, change everything in our relationships. So allowing yourself to show tears and sadness actually helps the person that you're sitting there with that is in pain actually can feel that you're in it with them. They're not that they're not alone. They're not sitting in this by themselves. So anyhow, that that's a huge piece is a learning how to let your true self be seen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I want to add to that. It's not just your pain. It's your happiness. Yeah. Like some people are, feel shameful that they're happy at certain things like, oh, I shouldn't yeah. take joy in that. Yeah. And then they wonder why people don't do the things they like. Well, because you never tell them they like you like it. You know, it's interesting, Ken. Um, I live in Alaska, and uh, every day I wake up and I step out my door and I see these mountains just bursting, and they're just gorgeous. I mean, literally, they're the most amazing-looking thing. And it, what those mountains do is they are part of God's creation, and they are speak loud and clear that there's a creator. You have to have a hard time living here and being an atheist to be, simply because... <laughs> Because the, the creation, you know, out of Romans 1, it says that creation speaks, there's a God. And so the, so the idea that the mountains are speaking, and just think about this for a second, that what would happen if those mountains were always covered with clouds and you never got to see them? Well, that would be a shame because they were meant to be seen. They were meant to give, to, to demonstrate there's a creator. Well, I am that creation as well. I was designed to be seen, fully seen, and fully known. Because in that, when I'm fully seen and fully known, at the bottom of all that is not shame. At the bottom of that is I am his creation. And when I am fully seen, I demonstrate there's a God, there's a, there's a creator. And I'm that, that I demonstrate that there, God is alive and that he is glorious. And But we're so afraid of that glory that it's all, and for many of us, don't even know it's there because of all the shame we feel and the debris we have in our life. But the truth is, who we really are is that creation. And we were meant to be seen, not hidden. Yeah. I, well, I love that analogy, Gene. Um, I, I live in Boulder, Colorado. So I'm, I'm walk out the door and look at the mountains myself. And it's so funny because I was just reflecting on yesterday. I was on a hike. And Boulder is literally at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. You can walk out the door and go up to 8,500 feet without ever getting close to your car. It's just like straight up the wall. And there was a storm coming through. And just like you were saying, the clouds were blocking out the mountains entirely. And as you were saying that, I was just remembering like the joy that came into my heart every time the, the clouds moved away and I could see the mountains yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and to being able to see the beauty because it, it because the clouds when they pull away, you get to see it in its fullness. Mm-hmm. You you know, and that is and that is what God has wants us in relationship is to to live authentically with each other, and that's the key here is that your authentic self, which is the created person that God meant you to be, that he designed you to be, uniqueness that he meant you to be, that when you allow that authentic self to be fully seen, that is, and the other person does the same, that is what God created us for, was for relationship, where we're fully seen and known. And so that there's that, that's what the word is intimacy, in, to, me, see. That you see into my life fully, and you know me, and you love me, and accept me. It's that fullness of no being known that brings beauty to life. Absolutely. But shame, but shame says no. If you're fully seen, you will be rejected. You will be thrown out the door. You will be shamed. And the real reality is, yeah, okay, I've got debris in my life, and I've got mistakes in my life, and I've, I've I've got things in my life I'm not proud of. But actually, beneath all that is my true identity, which is I am God's creation. And to be fully seen is to remove the clouds and to be to see what God created, what God designed me to be, and to live from that is life. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Gene, we've actually got to a part of the show that I call "Bring It All Home," and this is where we're gonna we're gonna give our our listeners some little nuggets they can take with them. And the, the first thing I wanted to to ask you is, what would you say is the best partnership or relationship advice that you've ever received? So. The, the most important thing that, that I think is learning to live your life authentically. Um, to live, in other words, the word is to be truthful, to be open, to be honest. It comes out of 1 John 1, 5 through 10, is that to, to, there's, God has got a light, and in him there's no shadows. And that if we're to walk with him and, and say we say we have no shadows, we're lying. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship that which means is to be in the light is what God designed for us to have fellowship. So being in the light is is the path to connection. It is the path to life. The path to death is for me to stay in secret and into hiding. And so shame keeps me in hiding. And that the path to breaking your shame is to find true relationships that people that you can go and be authentic with, that you can let them see your stuff and let them see your beauty and your garbage at the same time. So that as they're seen, you will have life. That's the life that you, you long for. That's the life we all need. Is That's what true fellowship is, is to live your life openly in the light with at least one other person. Beautiful. Love it. So let me ask you this then, if you had to pick just one, what would you recommend as the book or resource that you feel is most impactful regarding partnership to our listeners? Boy, you ask a big question. I, I, know. I think <laughs> <laughs> because 
uh, I'm in the middle of writing a book, then I would say go to mine because there's so much missing on this topic. But I think in the issue of, uh, I think the, the the probably the most important book uh, would be the this this called Letting Go of Shame by Doctor Harry or by uh, Potter and Potter Ephron is the it's a couple. I can't remember the Ronald and, and Patricia Potter, Ephron Potter, I think. But it's it's letting go of shame, and it's not a it's not a, a Christian book, but it is excellently written about shame. And and on top of that, if, if there another book that would be uh, would be just as important is is Henry, uh, Dr. Cloud and Henry uh, Doc, Dr. Townsend and Henry Cloud's book on safe people, because it actually teaches us how to have build healthy safe relationships where I can be authentic and be real and not just put that out to anybody. So I think those two books are really key to building a healthier, safer community. Excellent. Thank you. So clearly we could probably go on for a couple of days here. I mean, you even mentioned if we talked about shame, it would take us two weeks. So <laughs> let's let's do this. Let's. Would you let our listeners know how they can contact you, how they can learn more about what you do? Sure. I have a web page. It's authenticrelationshipsint.com. And uh, also my phone, you know, my phone number is 907-952-0438. And uh, we do conferences, we do workshops, we do, uh, I do coaching online for people who are trying to, to deal with relational brokenness or they want relational health. Uh, I do consulting for organizations that want to create a, a relationally healthy environment. Um, so would love to, to help any of the needs that, that uh, your listeners are, have in that arena. Excellent. Thank you. That's very, very generous. And, and Gene, your, your stories, your insights, super, super powerful. Very, very enlightening. Thank you for that. And thank you for being on the show today. It's been my pleasure, Ken. And uh, thank you for inviting me. Loved it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. Be sure you catch the bonus stories from our guests on Follow Your Yes Friday. It's easy to do. Just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else either in person or on the web. Have a great day. And remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.